Hello, I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. Today we have a show on reversing Alzheimer's and how to do that. And yes, you can reverse Alzheimer's or dramatically improve it. And I have a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Heather Sanderson on the show today, and she's hosting a summit called Reverse Reversing Alzheimer's. And uh, I'm talking about uh, how heavy metals promote Alzheimer's and how to detox those heavy metals on the summit. And on this summit, she has amazing speakers. She has Dr. Mark Hyman. She has uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, and so many other experts on brain health and all the cutting edge research on what you can do to reverse Alzheimer's. And we touch on many of those things um, on the show today, including the heavy metals that cause uh, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Uh, we talk about uh, supplementation, minerals. We talk about um, blood sugar control, healthy fats. Uh, we talk about um, just uh, sleep uh, and so many other different uh, risk factors, uh, your genetics and, and lifestyle and other things. And the, the 15 things that you can do to dramatically reduce your chances of developing Alzheimer's. And so uh, again, we talk about the APOE gene and what your genetics can tell you about your risk factor, whether you have 13%, 30%, or a 50% chance of developing Alzheimer's based on your genetics. And so lots of really good, important information on the show today. So I know you guys listening, you're concerned about your toxic burden. You're concerned about how heavy metals and toxins are affecting your cognition, your brain health, your memory, even your emotions. And so I created a quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com. Take two seconds, go take the quiz. And after you get your results, you get a free video series on how to detox, uh, what testing you need to do, what supplements work for detoxification, how long it needs to take. And I answer all of your burning questions in a free video series after you take the quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, Dr. Heather Sanderson, um, she's a naturopathic doctor who has dedicated her career to supporting those suffering with dementia. She's created unique, successful solutions for patients and caregivers using clinical, residential research and educational platforms. She also hosts the annual Reversing Alzheimer's Summit, which has reached over 80,000 people around the world. And she's currently working on a book that will be published by HarperCollins in 2024, and a tech AI product to scale her impact and work towards her goal of making dementia rare and optional. She's excited to shatter common misconceptions about Alzheimer's and share what she's learned about keeping your brain sharp at any age. You can learn more about Dr. Heather Sanderson and her work at drheathersanderson.com. Dr. Sanderson, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself and how you kind of kind of came to focus on uh, dementia and, and Alzheimer's in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a naturopathic doctor. So did four years of medical training after undergrad and really the dementia and Alzheimer's work, it found me. I was curious, but very skeptical that there was anything you can do about Alzheimer's. I had been told, like most people out there, that there wasn't anything that you could do, that 
to suggest as a doctor that you could reverse or treat Alzheimer's would be to do harm. It would be to give people false hope and that there was no cure, there was no answer, that there were some medications, but they didn't work very well. And essentially what you would expect was demise and a long, awful, torturous goodbye. And so then I, in practice, a few years into my medical practice, I was curious about the brain. It's, of course, you know, as an intellectual, as a doctor, I come from a family of you know, doctors and attorneys and, and people who really value their cognitive function. And I think we all do, of course, right? If that that classic, would you rather like lose your brain or your body? It's always my body. I, I, I would need to keep my brain. And so I was personally curious. Um, but also more and more patients were coming to me asking about optimizing cognitive function, either for performance or helping their children with ADD, ADHD, anxiety, mental health disorders, anxiety, depression, bipolar. And so I was more and more curious about the brain. And I was at a conference on the brain and I saw Dr. Bredesen speak and he was describing how using his approach, you could reverse Alzheimer's. And I was a little dumbfounded. I was like, wait, what? Like he's saying the opposite. He's this, he's this Duke trained neurologist who um, started the, the Buck Center for Aging and had worked at UCLA and UCSF. And so this very, very highly credible person is saying that you could reverse Alzheimer's. And the way he was describing it was made a ton of common sense to me, especially with our naturopathic training. It was very robust. It wasn't about picking one thing or doing, you know, adding one pill or one IV therapy. It was really about getting this comprehensive understanding of how that person's brain had gotten off track. And so this includes, you know, as you are an expert, you know, at, at the toxins and the detox processes, and he was including toxins. He was including workup for infections. He was including workup for hormonal dysregulation. He was including, um, you know, targeting sleep and stress and exercise and all of these basic, you know, foundational pieces. We talk, call them the foundations of health and naturopathic medicine. And so this made sense to me in a conceptual way. But I was still totally skeptical, right? Because there's this one guy saying that you could do this impossible thing. So I was intrigued enough that I went and did his training. And when I got back from his training, I was on his list of people who had been trained by him. And so I had patients start showing up. And sure enough, I started witnessing miracles happen in my clinic. I discovered that not only um, is it factually inaccurate to tell people there's nothing you can do about Alzheimer's, it, it, it's just it's cruel. And it, it's, I think there's, I have a moral obligation to tell people how much you can do to reverse Alzheimer's and to optimize cognitive function at any age. Yeah. There's always something you can do always, no matter what condition you have, there's always something you can do. You may just be limited uh, by the doctor you're talking to and his tool set, you know, that's the only limitation really. Really? I, I mean, it's so frustrating. And as we know, the human body is designed to heal. And this includes the human brain. I have seen people with severe Alzheimer's get better. Now, I want the refrain of this conversation to be like, act now. Don't wait until you have severe Alzheimer's. You don't want that end stage where there's structural damage that's that's been, you know, that's far progressed. It's just so much harder to get better. But we have had patients who are nonverbal start speaking again, read name tags, read simple things again. 
people who couldn't even speak. And it, it, this has moved me to tears over and over and over again. And yet that's not what I want anyone to do. I want everyone to know before they have cognitive decline or at those very early stages where you're like, you know, finding that word, you would have found it 10 years ago, but now you struggle or you're, you notice you're losing your train of thought or more easily overwhelmed, or you forget where you parked your car. Those kinds of things start happening and you realize your brain has changed from five or 10 years ago that's the moment to get started. Or if you know there's Alzheimer's in your family, you have maybe a genetic predisposition, the time to start is in your 20s, 30s, 40s. And there are so, so, so many things that you can do. I mean, it's wild to me. I was reading something today about companionship versus loneliness, having community and having those social connections. Having like five social connections, meaningful social connections in your life reduces your risk of Alzheimer's by 50%. And when you start stacking that with exercise and diet and good sleep, all of a sudden you've reduced your risk of Alzheimer's by really, really considerable amounts. And this is, this is such an important podcast for people to listen to and, you know, utilize the advice in the show because Talk to us about the prevalence of Alzheimer's and any other other forms of dementia. I mean, it's it's very very common. I mean, it's you know there's a uh, many lifestyle factors involved. Uh, but tell us what are the, what's the prevalence of Alzheimer's and people's likelihood of of dealing with this at some point in their life or a loved one. Yeah, so the prevalence of Alzheimer's is only growing. And part of this is because of the baby boomers, right? We have so many people who are approaching that age where they're at the highest risk. So there are modifiable risk factors and then there are non-modifiable risk factors. And we can't address our, our chronological age, right? We've been on the planet so long, we can't, there's nothing we can do about that. And an older age is one of the highest risk factors, of course. Being female is a high risk factor. But there are lots and lots of, it, it, this is from very well established, it's out of the Lancet in the UK, a very credible journal. There are 15 modifiable risk factors that we can do something about. And these include things like social isolation and the amount of education, exposure to toxins that we'll talk about in more depth. Uh, activity, not smoking, maintaining a proper blood pressure. All, there's so, so, so many things that we can do to reduce the risk. That being said, there are so many people approaching this age where they are at high risk. And lots of people are not aware of these modifiable risk factors because they've been told there's nothing you can do over and over again. So today in the US, there are about 6 million people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is the most common form of, of dementia, but there are others like Lewy body, um, it, it, frontal temporal dementia, vascular dementia. There are other types of dementias. And it's funny, if you ask a doctor who's in their 70s or 80s, they say, wasn't it called senile dementia? Why all of a sudden is it called Alzheimer's? And part of this has been marketing, right? Dementia, you think of someone demented. It has this very negative connotation where when you think of someone with Alzheimer's, you imagine them kind of in a wheelchair, unable, no short-term memory, really dependent on others. And there's this sort of compassionate, like, oh, how awful feeling that we have. It's terrifying for us to think about getting it. Um, but this Alzheimer's word has really, it's been a marketing ploy. Um, and this has happened several times throughout the course of history. Really, the proper word is probably dementia and to have it under that umbrella of dementia. Regardless, there's about 50 million people on the planet who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And 
Um, These numbers are astounding in and of themselves. But then when you look at the cost of what the financial cost of what it takes to take care of someone with Alzheimer's and the societal burden, right? It's not just that one person who has Alzheimer's, those 6 million individuals in the U.S., it's the, the spouse and the daughter and the other people who all have to rally and reduce their work hours or not parent, not be as present parenting or make other sacrifices to show up for that person who's struggling with dementia. That is the real, that's when you start to see the real cost. Because we have so many people aging, this is only becoming a bigger and bigger proportion of our society. It's really heartbreaking to me because here are our elders at the height of their wisdom and experience with so much to offer and so much to give. And often they end up in memory care facilities, sort of locked away and not not able to give those gifts back to the next generation. And so really my my career has been dedicated to creating solutions and changing the narrative so that people can act now, act early and not go down that arduous path. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's terrible to watch your loved one go through that. And um, it's a tremendous burden. Like I watched that with my family, my my mother's mother developed dementia and she had four, you know, my mother, mother has three other siblings and it just, there's so much fighting about who's going to take care of her and that, that did take care of her was resentful of the others. And, you know, there's just a, a lot of conflict uh, and, and, you know, caregivers get ill as well because they're working so hard. So yeah, so um, caregivers actually are have anywhere from two and a half to six times the risk of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's later in life. And this is really scary. I mean, this is terrifying. It's right? stressful. It's very stressful. Often for a caregiver, you're not getting the sleep because your sleep's interrupted now. The person with Alzheimer's isn't sleeping well. You're, you don't take care of yourself in terms of exercise or good diet or your own social connections and time for yourself. If you get, if you're a caregiver for someone with dementia right now, I have, there's one piece of advice that like, if you take nothing else away, please create an eight hour block at one day for yourself where you don't have anything to do, where it is just entirely yours. That will help you maintain your sanity, reduce the burden of the of caring for someone with this disease. And also it forces you to get some partnership in caring for this person. It cannot be done alone. It's not it's not okay to ask that of yourself. And I know everyone struggles with a little bit of guilt typically, but waiting until you're desperate and backed into a corner, you won't have that best potential partner in caregiving for your loved one. You're going to end up desperate. And so getting ahead of that and having that relationship, um, whether it's you know someone else in your family or someone that you pay, uh, whatever it means for you, finding that other care partner is so critically important to reducing your own risk. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think people feel so much guilt about putting their loved one in a care facility or it's incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. and out of reach. So um, let's talk about some of the underlying root causes. So toxins, heavy metals, um, a big underlying uh, risk factor and you know, direct and indirect cause of, of Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. What are we looking at here? What's causing this? Yeah. So I typically, I, th- I think of kind of buckets, right? And Dr. Bredesen, my mentor, he describes them as the different types, subtypes of Alzheimer's, and they're not mutually exclusive. So you can have multiple types. 
And the, the buckets I put it into are toxic, so imbalances, right? These are imbalances, too much, too little, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, some sort of imbalance in these signals or in these in, in toxins or nutrients. So toxins are one bucket, and I think of them in three flavors. You mentioned heavy metals. We also have mold or mycotoxins that come from water-damaged buildings, sometimes from food sources. And then we have chemical toxins, things like plastics, pesticides, herbicides, parabens, PCBs, things that are found in water, um, or, or think, you know, things we put on our bodies that get absorbed. Those are the three different flavors of toxins that we look for. And I love that people have access to someone like you, who's really an expert in this, because these are, these are root causes of so many diseases. And typically what happens is in Alzheimer's, that toxic exposure is then coupled with maybe a genetic predisposition. So now you turn on those genes that, that put you at risk for Alzheimer's because of that toxic burden. And so what we want to do, and I, what I love about toxins is like, once you identify the exposure and you help support your body in getting rid of them, all of the natural processes of getting rid of them, we can check that box and move on, right? Like it's done. Just don't expose yourself again, right? making those and educating yourself, understanding the risks, where they're coming from, you can kind of create a lifestyle where you're not exposed to those and that you, we can kind of set it aside and put it behind us. And then, so toxic exposure, nutrient balance is another piece. You can have too much sugar and that causes glycotoxicity or, or toxicity associated with glucose that leads to diabetes. And Sometimes we talk about Alzheimer's as type three diabetes. It's a manifestation of diabetes to have too much sugar arriving in the brain. And it's, it either causes these in glycase, these glycation in products or where you're essentially caramelizing your cells. Um, and it also can, you can create um, insulin resistance and an inability to make ATP or the energy our cells run on in the brain out of sugar. And the amazing thing here is that we can switch to burning fat for fuel. So you can go into ketosis, you can switch up the energy source from sugar to fat. And that is a great way to enhance cognition, particularly if you have that sort of insulin resistance or that inability to turn sugar into fuel in the brain. And then you also have deficiencies, right? So you can have too much of a nutrient or you can have too little of something like B12 or the amino acids that help us to make our neurotransmitters or uh, vitamin C. And these can be functional deficiencies or they can be, so functional deficiency would be like, maybe you're meeting your RDA, but you're not optimizing function by really having enough. And so we take a deep dive into that. We look at stressors and stress, you know, again, you can have too much or too little. When you're in retirement, some people think of this as like, okay, I've worked my life and now it's time to kick my feet up and watch TV. And they're not getting cognitive engagement. And this is definitely a situation where if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And so we want to make sure that people have that sense of purpose and challenge and that they're living, they're living their life on purpose. And that requires a little bit of friction. You got to bump up against your, your skill level, or um, you got to create some challenge. And then on the other side, 
there are people who just turn into worry words as they age. And that, that can be really stressful on the body too much. And on the brain, too much cortisol is, is toxic to the hippocampus. This, this memory center in our brain, it also affects the amygdala if we're, we're um, experiencing trauma. And that can be like, many of us can relate to being under in a stressful situation and our brain doesn't work. We can't find our words. We can't put concepts together or stage fright. It's a very classic example of this. Also sleep, really, really important. Getting enough sleep is critical to cognitive function for many reasons, including the detox process. The brain detoxifies through the glymphatic system at night when we're sleeping. And if we're depriving ourselves of, of that sleep, even people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s will have a buildup of amyloid plaques associated with dementia after just one night of sleep deprivation. So over time, this leads to an increased risk of dementia. So we have imbalances and toxins, nutrients, stressors, and then structure. Structure, I think of as both macro structure, the way your orthopedist or your, um, your chiropractor might think of it, like is your hip bone connected to your leg bone sort of a thing? Can you get blood flow into your brain and out of it efficiently? Um, if not, then we need some structural components. Can you, can you, are you breathing? You know, is your airway staying patent or staying open at night so that you can, you're not having apnea events and starving your brain of oxygen. We can also think of structure as that molecular structure, that genetic component. So some people, very, very few have the more extreme genetic risk factors of the APP, the amyloid precursor protein, or the PSEN1 and 2. This is very, very rare but it puts people at risk for early onset dementia. So that doesn't mean those early stages of dementia, but it means earlier onset in your life. So in the forties and fifties, this is extremely rare, but I have several patients who have this and, and we're working hard to prevent. And sure enough, they're getting to ages where they're older than their siblings before they, they start noticing symptoms. So there's certainly something we can do there. The vast majority of people are thinking of, when we think about genetics, we're thinking about the APOE status. So APOE is, um, it, it has to do with your apolipoproteins, and sometimes people equate this with cholesterol. And sure enough, this has to do with fat metabolism. And it also has to do with your propensity um, to develop Alzheimer's later in life. So you, we were asked, we, we were talking a little bit about prevalence and with this genetic risk factor, there's a difference compared to the wild type or the normal population. So most people walking around, we don't know their APOE status. The likelihood that they will develop Alzheimer's in their life is 13%. If you have one copy, so you get two copies, one from mom, one from dad. If you have one copy of APOE4, so you either have a 2-4 or 3-4, you have a 30% chance or about a one in three chance of developing Alzheimer's, which is significantly higher than that 13% chance. Now, if you have two copies of APOE 4.4, you have a 50% chance of developing Alzheimer's in your lifetime. So a one in two chance, and this is considerably high. And so this means if we know about this, we can act earlier. We can do things ahead of time to reduce that risk. One of the more hopeful books I've read this year is um, by Becca Levy, a researcher out of Yale called Breaking the Age Code. You can completely negate that risk, 100% get rid of that risk of APOE4 status, whether it's one, four, or two, by having a positive association with aging, being surrounded by people who revere your wisdom and experience and appreciate and, and value it by 
imagining that life is just getting better and better. And what I like to think of is like channeling Betty White, just like really focusing on the fun and how much you have to offer and keeping yourself creative and engaged in community and in, in your work and your passions, and just loving life, that that reduces your, your risk. The last one, so we talked about, again, toxins, nutrients, stressors, structure, and then infections. So there's a handful of infections that put us at risk of cognitive decline. Many people who have experienced COVID can speak to this. After COVID, it feels like you're walking through, your brain is going through a fog or like there's spider webs in there, cobwebs in there. It can be really hard to get rid of that brain fog and your cognition isn't back online. This is because of that cytokine storm, those, those inflammatory cytokines that are basically preventing your brain from working optimally. So COVID we know is associated, so is herpes one and two, as is um, Lyme, the Lyme infections, and then also P. gingivalis, which can affect the gums. And, you know, if you look up pretty much any H. pylori, I was researching the other day, H. pylori and the connection to cognition, and sure enough, you can find that many of these infections will affect cognition at some level. Now, we can reduce that infectious burden by reducing stress, optimizing sleep, optimizing nutrients, getting rid of those toxins that can suppress the, the immune function. So we, we do all of these things together from a medical perspective to help optimize our, our cognitive function. And we, we have measurable results that show that people, even with um, measure, measurable cognitive decline, improve that cognition meaningfully. Well, you know, I've got to go check my genetics again. <laughs> After that rundown, I'm like, ooh, what's my what's my percentage? I got to go check my uh, 23andMe. Uh, but yeah, but it's good to you know to have that to have that knowledge and maybe that fire you know under your ass <laughs> to go <laughs> and you know make Dr. these changes. Dr. Yeah. Benson calls it the cognoscopy, right? Like we get a colonoscopy around 50 to see if we have colon cancer, we're at risk for colon cancer. We should think, of course, we should be doing something like that for our brain. And I love it because it just kind of makes you laugh. Like, oh yeah, I, I should get this workup, this really thorough workup to understand if my brain is at risk and then do what I can about it so that it's not, it doesn't become this downhill slide. Yeah. And chances are that you, you know, there are a lot of risk factors that you have based on past diet, lifestyle, toxin exposure, and, and things of that nature. And that, you know, so many of us are fall prey to the, the bad fats and sugar intake and, and high, you know, high blood pressure, high blood sugar. There's so many things working against our, our brains. And so, you know, and, and back to like the infections, luckily infections are really easy to address with rife technology and you can, you can target really any infection and, and get rid of those fairly easily. And that's something I love. I love easy, simple, effective tools like rife. And uh, I use the spooky too rife and I just I'm totally addicted to it for so many reasons. Um, but, but you guys can go to spooky2.com to check that out. Um, but so for, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about heavy metals and toxins. What specific heavy metals are, are, are you finding in the research that are promoting Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia and how? Yeah. So mercury is the one that is most closely linked to cognitive decline and, and, and it's just so directly neurotoxic. 
Um, and I have seen patients where I think that this is the thing causing their dementia. And sure enough, when we get rid of it, when we when we move it out gently but effectively, um, you see an improvement in cognition. And so um, I, I use, uh, I, I moved away from using the chelation, the IV chelation and IV provocation because my population is older and they tend to be women. Women are disproportionately affected by Alzheimer's, both as caregivers and then as patients as well. About two thirds of Alzheimer's patients are women. And so the postmenopausal women have osteoporosis comes hand in hand with dementia because of this population. And so the chelation, I feel like has some risk associated. If I were working with a younger population, that's how I was trained, lots of chelation. I think it can be very, very safe and very effective. However, because of the patient population I'm working with, I feel like the risk benefit analysis is a little bit different. And so I tend to use a silica product uh, developed by Chris Shade at Quicksilver, which I find to be very effective. Um, and it's a binder. So it, it it's uh, called IMD or intestinal metal detox, and it binds specifically to um, both arsenic and mercury. And um, so that pulls it out. And I find that it works as quickly as the IVs, but with much less risk and much less cost and from the comfort of your own home instead of needing to go into a doctor's office for an IV. So that has been something, you know, as I learn more, I, I've switched things up and that was a big change in my practice. Um, but we find that very effective. And then making sure there's enough of the good minerals, the manganese and the magnesium and the zinc and everything that's needed, you know, plus all boron and silica and vanadium. And I mean, the list is the laundry list is long, of course, calcium um, and sodium and chlorine. I mean, I could just go on and on, right? But having that good mix of minerals is so important to detoxification and then also to brain health, to cognition, to neurotransmitter balance, to bone health, to all of these things as we age. And I think there was sort of a disservice done around vilifying fats and salt. I think fat and salt are really, really important in the right type. So getting the healthy ones, especially those minerals like in the form of sea salt, where it comes in that really healthy balance um, and then good, high, healthy fats. Uh, and phosphatidylcholine, which helps with the emulsification and, and also with, with the viscosity of our bile, it's really important for getting rid of heavy metals and, and all toxins that are going to come through the liver and be tox detoxified that way. So I, I like gentle detox um, and really looking at all of those organs of elimination. We're going to detoxify heavy metals um, primarily through our bowels, so through having a bowel movement. If I have a patient who's not having a daily bowel movement, that is step number one, is just getting those bowel movements regular. Sometimes we need to think about enemas or colonics even on a, on a really invasive kind of side. Sometimes it's just as easy as adding more water, more movement, more fiber, things that are going to get our bowels moving and, and really optimize that. And then so bowels and then liver support, um, getting good kidney support, drinking good, healthy mineral water that's not contaminated, getting us sweating, moving toxins that way. Um, and then using the breath as a detox organ. And as we optimize all of those organs of elimination, it makes it easier to get rid of any toxin in the system. Yeah, I think so many people today are their their bowels are not moving, they're constipated, or they're just they think they're going to the bathroom, but not not as much as they probably should be. And those toxins just reabsorb back into the bloodstream and, and wreak havoc. And the liver has to deal with them over and over and over. Um, and also people listening, you know, I think so many people 
just shortchange their sleep or they think I'll sleep when I'm dead or I'm taking a dirt nap or especially guys listening that you're in your teens and uh, you're amazing if you're listening to the show and you're a teenager and in your 20s because your body regenerates so easily you just think that oh I can skip sleep but you know over the years when you shortchange yourself on sleep for one two three decades you're paying the price for that down the road in your brain health whether you realize that or not because of the detoxification regeneration this very active process that happens when you sleep and you just cannot shortchange yourself on that and it's so the instagram and the social media and the staring at the phones before bed is so pervasive in in so many people's lives today it's really causing a, a, a massive amount of sleep loss that will accumulate and, and can lead to dementia and Alzheimer's, just that alone. Yeah, it's scary. Um, I, the, just the way screens have taken over our lives and it, even the head position, right? Of like having your neck down like this, it goes back to that structural component of, can you get enough blood flow in and out of your brain? Not if your head is tilted down, looking at a screen constantly. Postural, you know, these these postural, our, our bodies are meant to be upright and walking to a lot of the day, not staring at a screen. And so I think that in so there are many, many, many mechanisms, right? The mental health component of compa constantly comparing yourself to everybody else's best that leads to anxiety and depression, the social isolation that comes from not knowing how to interface with people in person. Social isolation is one of these modifiable risk factors. We know that being isolated puts you at risk of dementia. And I worry that kids are not able to communicate with people in person and some of these ramifications of COVID of going online. And then the blue light, right? Like, I mean, the, the list of potential mechanisms of how all of the screen time and social media and how much time it's spent, how much of our lives is spent on the screen. It, it's just radical to think of all of the ways that it's, it's just, it's really damaging and really hindering our ability to like live as humans the way we're designed to. And asking, um, you know, one generation to adapt to that. It's just, it's unreasonable. Yeah, I know it drives me nuts because that algorithm on Instagram, because they just show you exactly what you want to see and you just keep watching and it's just entertaining and it's just showing you the travel stuff you want to see and the cooking and the whatever you want to look at. It just keeps you on that screen. And then like two hours go by, you're like, what? Oh, how, how did this happen? And then you lose that sleep time, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I, I'm having to put some rules and some boundaries around, around Instagram. Um, so, and then also the blue light that will suppress melatonin production, which you need to detox your brain at night. So th there's just a lot of this domino effect happening, uh, that can accumulate over years that impact your brain. So, um, so you have a summit coming up that you do every June, um, called the reversing Alzheimer's summit. Can you tell us about that? Cause you guys need to sign up for this and implement the tools that all the experts are talking about on this summit. It's very, very important. Thank you so much. It, it's such a privilege to be able to put this summit on. I get to interview people like you I get to connect with colleagues 
learn the latest in what people are discovering. You know, you and you and I talked about aluminum, which I don't even test for. And, you, you know, I really just appreciate the things I, I am now and doing the hair mineral testing again. I had kind of like let that go. But after talking to you, this is just one example of one of those things that I learn from doing the summit that I'm then able to implement in my practice or at Marama at the residential care facility and putting this summit on every year. You know, it's a ton of work, but I get so much out of it. And I, I just absolutely love it and feel so privileged to be in this position of being able to talk to all these people. And it's so much fun to hear from our listeners and the people that attend about how much they get out of it and how much they start implementing and how inspiring it is. And so I, I just can't wait for people to come and like make that one change or get that one insight that really changes how they're living their life so that they get better outcomes over the long term. They live healthier and longer and more connected and just more fulfilling lives. So that starts June 13th, 2023, June 13th through 19th. It's when that summit is free and available and you can sign up if you just Google Dr. Heather Sanderson Reverse Alzheimer's Summit. That will pop up. It's the third one that I have done. And it just, they just keep getting better and better. So you'll see Mark Hyman and, uh, of course, my um, co-host and my mentor, Dr. Dale Bredesen, is on there. And he's interviewing people. And then Dr. David Perlmutter um, and many, many other really phenomenal doctors who are really pushing the cutting edge and the research and how to help people re reduce the suffering associated with Al Alzheimer's. Now, what is the website name again? It is, um, it's kind of a long one, but it's drtalks.com forward slash reverse Alzheimer's dash summit. Okay, so great. I don't know if we can put that in the show notes, <laughs> but if you Google reverse Alzheimer's summit, Heather Sanderson, it will pop up and just look for um, the 3.0 version. That's the 2023 reverse Alzheimer's summit. Okay, great. And I was honored to be, uh, you know, among all these esteemed speakers and I, talking about how heavy metals affect the brain and something that I, you know, I love talking about. So if you guys want to check out my talk, go sign up for the summit. It's totally free uh, during the, that time frame, June 13th and 19th. So uh, check that out. And also, uh, you know, another thing that, um, you know, I think is really important to talk about is this bioenergetic component of, of healing the brain. And there's a an amazing device called the Equiscope. So uh, it's a device I actually have. I actually have it right here. Um, if you guys can check this out it's in my room, it's this uh, this gigantic metal suitcase looking thing. Um, but it, it can reestablish electrical connections in the brain and people can have a very, very quick, astounding results in um, and dramatically improving their dementia very, very quickly because it reestablishes the, the electrical connections in the brain. And there's a lot of other things that I can't really, um, you know, uh, put to words. Uh, but I think that's a, a incredible, incredible technology. I use it for facials. But you can use it. Amazing! If it did that to my brain, I'd be like all about it. And it, 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 it addresses pain, addresses a, a lot of different things. Um, but that's you know the application I'm using it for. But um, but yeah, but tremendous, promising results for Alzheimer's. So I wanted to mention that. Um, I don't know the website, but just look up Equascope. And uh, you'll get more information on that. Um, but uh, Heather, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Do you have any parting words or anything else you wanted to communicate to the audience? It just the take home is that Alzheimer's is optional for the vast majority of people. And there's always hope, no matter what 
the neurologist is, is telling you they're just unfortunately they're well in, they're misinformed at the moment and so find that doctor that is following the bredesen protocol that can get you the answers that you need to make progress it is absolutely possible now it's not always easy um there is but there's so much that you can do to reverse alzheimer's and optimize cognitive function at any age yeah, fantastic yes i agree yes there's so much you can do and you know, don't wait start today you can implement all these things we talked about today um so dr sanderson thanks for tuning in i'd love to to interview your co-host as well I'm sure he has lots of pearls of, of wisdom as well to share. Um, but everyone, thanks for tuning in. Go check out the Reversing Alzheimer's Summit. And uh, just thank you for your presence today and, and tuning in. And I will talk to you guys next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.